Lord, we thank you for that truth that we can hold on to that fact that you will always be there because you are you are always faithful. Lord, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we can sing that with confidence that you are our refuge. You are that place that we can, we can run to always. Lord, forgive us for those times when we run other places instead of to you first and always. Lord, we thank you that you are our strength. Even when we have none of our own left, Lord, especially then, you are our strength. Lord, we thank you for all of the promises that are ours in you. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time here together tonight as we, as we study your word, as we, as we open your living word and we look at, at those things that you have preserved, you have kept for us, for our instruction. As your word tells us, we are to, we're not here to have a history lesson, Lord, we're here to have a faith lesson. We're here to have a, a sanctification lesson, Lord. We ask that you would have that work in us, that you'd find hearts that are, are open to receive whatever it, it is that you have for us tonight. Thank you for providing this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. As we Get ready to begin tonight. Probably a lot of you are aware, but for those of you who don't know, our sweet sister Susan Aldana went home to be with Jesus yesterday, and um, her memorial service will be this Saturday at 11 o'clock, if you can come out and be a part of that and just share in the, in the celebration that we have of her homecoming to be with Jesus, and we remember her life and the life that touched so many of us so deeply. So if you could be a part of that, that'd be great. And please keep Pastor Don in your prayers um, as he deals with the loss of his dear wife and um, difficult time. But we know, we know where she is. And we know as we were singing of those promises that we have, we know that. So amen. And we will be with her, all, all of us, be with her, her soon. So <laughs> come Lord Jesus. Uh, well, please take out your Bibles. We find ourselves tonight in 1 Kings chapter 20. The last couple of weeks we've looked at Elijah. And part of the things that we looked at was his interaction with King Ahab, who is the king of the northern tribes, the tribes of Israel. And tonight, Lord willing, and if I talk fast enough, we're going to get through a, a few chapters tonight, perhaps even finish 1 Kings, as we look at some, some events that take place in Ahab's reign. We, we looked at this last, like I said, over the last couple of weeks as Elijah confronted Ahab and his wife Jezebel and the worship that they had of the prophets, of the god Baal and the prophets and him dealing with them. 
And we left off at the end of chapter 19 where God specifically gave Elijah some work to do as he uh, had his victorious moment as we talked about, but then he had his time where he ran off and the Lord said, I'm not done with you yet, sent him back has some work to do anoint, to anoint some kings, but primarily he's going to anoint Elisha as his successor. And we saw that take place at the end of chapter 19 last week. It tells us now as we begin chapter 20, Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army, and there were 32 kings with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and besieged Samaria and fought against it. Aram, or Aram, is Syria today, north of the, the tribes of Israel that are up there, their, their capital in Damascus there. North of them is Assyria, and the Assyrian army and, and kingdom is beginning to gain momentum, and no doubt Syria here, we have Ben-Hadad, uh, he's gathering some forces, some other kings in that area, and tr- coming now south against against. The, the tribes of, or of Israel in the north, and he's going to come against Samaria here, no doubt trying to shore up the southern area and preparing for the battle that will eventually come in the north. And he sent messengers, verse 2, to the city, to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, thus says Ben-Hadad, your silver and your gold are mine, your most beautiful wives and children are also mine. The king of Israel replied, It is according to your word, my lord, O king. I am yours and all that I have. Now there's a leader for you. <laughs> we, we, obviously, Jezebel's not home when this is going on. We, we've looked at that before. We're going to see again. She's the one with the backbone in the family. His response to this isn't, Lord, what shall we do? This, this king is coming against us, is coming against your people. His response right away is, okay, all right. Verse 5, then the messengers returned and says, thus says Ben-Hadad, surely I sent to you saying, you shall give me your silver and your gold and your wives and your children, but about this time tomorrow, I will send my servants to you and they will search your house and the houses of your servants and whatever is desirable in your eyes, they will take it in their hand and carry it away. So on top of that, we're going to go through your house and we're going to look at all the stuff that you have and whatever we want in addition to all the stuff you already said we're going to have, we're going to take that too. Then the king of Israel called all the elders in the land and said, please observe and see how this man is looking for trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold and I did not refuse him. But when he wanted my big flat screen, all of a sudden now we got problems. All of the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. So he sent the messengers of Ben-Hadad. He said to them, tell my lord the king, all that you sent for to your servant at first I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad said, sent him and said, may the gods do To me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria will suffice for handfuls for all the people who who follow me. Basically, what he's doing now is trash talking. You're going to deny me this? You're going to be like the dust of the ground. I'm just going to grind you into powder. Then the king of Israel replied, well, tell him, 
Let him not who girds on his armor boast like him who takes it off. That's kind of the way of responding, saying don't count your chickens before they're hatched. So we have some trash talking going on back and forth. When Ben-Hadad heard this message, he was drinking with the kings in a temporary shelter. And he said to his servants, station yourselves. So they stationed themselves against the city. Continue to turn away and harden his heart. Notice the shift here too again. The Lord will, we're going to see as he will defend again because the servants of the king of Aram said to him, their gods are the gods of the mountains. Therefore, they were stronger than we, but rather let us fight against them on the plain and surely we will be stronger than they. Do this thing. Remove the kings, each from his place, and put captains in their place. Now that's the smart thing he told them to do. Take out the, the kings take out the politicians, and let the soldiers do the fighting. Good thing to do. But the rest of it, they're not getting. They're not understanding that they're not fighting against Israel. They're fighting against the God of Israel. And they're foolish enough to think that, well, if we just get them onto our turf, onto the plains, they don't stand a chance. Muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. At the turn of the year, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mustered and provisioned and went to meet them, and the sons of Israel camped before them, notice what it says, like two little flocks of goats. But the Arameans filled the country like two little flocks of goats. Not real intimidating. Again, little flocks of goats. You don't see many football teams named out, you know, little flocks of goats. I mean, the the, the point that, again, that's being made here is it's not the strength of the army. It's It's not the fact that Ahab was able to muster all of this together. But they do go out, again, trusting in the Lord with this. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So they camped one over against another for seven days. And the seventh day the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed of the Arameans, 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. That is a serious battle and a serious victory. 100,000 soldiers killed. The rest fled to Aphek into the city, and a wall, the wall fell on 27,000 men who were left. And Ben-Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. His servants said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads, and we'll go to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will save your life. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads, and they came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the Lord, I'm sorry, now the men took this as an omen and quickly Catching his word, they said, yeah, yeah, your brother, Ben-Hadad. Then he said, go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he took him up into the chariot. So Ahab 
Here's the king who's come against him twice. He's still alive after wiping all this out. He says, come on up here, my brother. Come up into the chariot with me. Ben-Hadad said to him, the, ch- the cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. That took place back in 1 Kings chapter 15 when Ben-Hadad's father took the cities away. I will restore them and you shall make streets for yourself. We'll have Ahab Avenue and Ahab Boulevard in Damascus and my, as my father made in Samaria. Ahab said, and I will let you go with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Now, a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to another, by word of the Lord, please strike me, but the man refused to strike him. This says here, certain men, a certain man of the sons of the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, we're going to see this a little bit more as we get into 2 Kings, this like school of the prophets, if you would. They're training and raising up young men and in, in, their, in this, in this the prophetic word and, and training them. And in the school, one of them says, gets a word from the Lord, strike me. And he tells him, the, word, the, the Lord said to strike me, but he refused. Then he said to him, because you have not listened to the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as you have departed from me, a lion will kill you. As soon as he departed from him, a lion found him and killed him. Then he found another man and said, please strike me. And the man struck him, wounding him. Yeah, I, probably, right? I mean, I see that lion over there. Where do you want me to hit you? <laughs> so he struck him and did it in such a way to wound him. And he's, he's going to make an illustration now. So the prophet departed and waited for the king, by the way, and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. As the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought me a man, a man to me and said, Guard this man. If for any reason he is missing, then your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. And the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hastily took the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him, that he was one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let go out of your hand the man whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall go for his, and your people for his people. So this prophet, this is all set up. He's he's wounded, so it looks like he's been involved in the battle. The king comes by, and he tells him this story, that, that one of the enemy was delivered into his, for, for keeping, for watching over. And he was told that if he lets this guy go, he's gonna, it, it'll be his life for that life. Or he'll have to pay an exorbitant amount of money, which obviously he can't afford to pay. And he said, well, I was doing a bunch of stuff, and the guy got away. And King Ahab says, well, dude, you said it yourself. He should die for that. And then he takes off the bandage and he says, basically, just like Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the one who it was delivered right to you, your enemy, the one that was marked for destruction, and you let him go. And isn't it it one of those things, again, where we see that, just as the illustration plays out, how our sin looks so much worse on other people. The things that, that we can be so guilty of ourselves when others do it, and especially if they do it to us, our reaction is is Judgment but mercy for me. And 
So this is, is brought to him, and instead of repenting like David did, when this was presented to David, you remember the story when Nathan brought him the illustration and with Bathsheba and how he killed Bathsheba's husband, that whole process, David repented, and he was forgiven. In that same verse, it tells us that where David repented, God, it says that you, 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 you're forgiven for that. Here we see Ahab's reaction. He doesn't repent. So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and vexed, and came to Samaria. He went home pouting. He was all upset. We're going to see that's going to be kind of a, an ongoing thing with him. We come to chapter 21, and long story short, we're going to read through it here real quickly, but Ahab, through his wife Jezebel, has one of his own people killed, an innocent person killed. Somebody that as the king, it was his job to protect, he has them killed. He should have killed, he, should, he protected the guy he should have killed, and he kills the guy he's supposed to protect. And Ahab has become so blinded by his walking in his own flesh and chasing after all of these things. It's like it, the Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 5, good we call evil, evil we call good. Exchanging light for darkness and darkness for light, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Totally, totally oblivious to the ways of God. And we, we see this. I mean, we could go through at the end of all of this and count up the commandments that were broken, pretty much every one of them in this process. But we see in chapter 21, verse 1, Now it came about after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it's close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it, than, than it at its place, if you like, or I will give you the price for it for money. Here we have Ahab and this is his summer place, decked out, palace, but he's not happy. He's not, he's not content. He still wants more. This man has a vineyard right next door, the neighboring property, and he says, I want that. And he comes initially even with an offer to buy it, to exchange it, but never content, never happy. That's the problem with, with chasing after money and goods. It's never enough. I mean, for crying out loud, he's the king. What does he need a garden for? But it's right next to it. It's beautiful. I, I, want, I want a garden there. So he goes to Naboth. And it sounds like, initially, like that would be a, an all right deal. All right, you're going to trade me or pay me for it? But Ahab has obviously long since forgotten that that's not Naboth's land to do that with. In Leviticus uh, chapter 25, the Lord says, this is my land. All of it is mine. And then he gave it out to the individual tribes and then to the people underneath it as an inheritance. It's passed on from generation to generation. Even if somebody had to had to, because of a debt that they owed, mortgage their land with that debt. Every seven years, it would come back to them. They had a, they had a, a, a kinsman redeemer. They never lost, quote unquote, title to that because it's theirs by inheritance. And we see, he understands this. Naboth does, verse three. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father. The inheritance that's been passed on to me. Originally, to my parents, all the way up the line, my great, 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 great grandparents, given by God, 
to us. God forbid that I would sell out my inheritance at any price. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of that the offer wasn't sweet enough, that he wasn't giving a, a fair offer in it. The bottom line was, I can't sell out my inheritance for, for any price. So Ahab, verse 4, came into the house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down in his bed, and he turned away his face, and he ate no food. Pouting in his bed. But Jezebel, his worser half, came to him and said, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and he said to me, I said to him, give me your vineyard or money or else, if it pleases you. I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, notice what he, this, I will not give you my vineyard. Now, that, that's a partial truth, right? But that's not the whole truth. He paints the picture like he's just being defiant. He's just being, it, so he paints, he lays this out here. And again, he's, he's feeling like he's been ripped off somehow. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Who's the king here anyway? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Get up and eat. I'll take care of this. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in the city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, You cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. Wow. She sets up this plan that... And then she even brings, brings some piety or some religious thing. Proclaim a fast. That'll get everybody out, even the godly people. That'll get everybody out, and we'll, we'll do this. And then tell, put some worthless men there, bribe them, that they will bring false accusations that he cursed God and the king. Take him out and stone him to death when that happens. Verse 11, so the men of this city, the elders and the nobles who lived in this city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the table. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth, before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Second Kings chapter 9 tells us that they, took his, they stoned his sons as well to make sure that there weren't any heirs that this could be passed on to. Then they sent word to Jezebel, saying, Naboth, has been stoned and is dead. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise, 
Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. Notice, God doesn't say that it's anybody else's vineyard but Naboth's vineyard. As far as God's concerned, that's still his. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? God holding Ahab responsible. And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? So now they are, here they are in the vineyard. Ahab checking it out, probably figuring out where he's going to plant the tomatoes and the rutabagas and all that stuff and lining it all out. And here's Elijah. Hasn't probably seen him or confronted him since back in chapter 18, a couple years before. And he says, and he answered. So Elijah now answering, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. You've sold yourself. You've sold yourself out, Ahab. You've sold yourself out for evil. The same Ahab is a descendant of the children of Israel, just like Naboth. The difference is Naboth wouldn't sell out his inheritance for anything. It was valuable to him, this, this gift that God had given him. Ahab, on the other hand, sold out a long time ago. And because of that, the steps further on down and further on down, just the, the more and more wicked, yet he becomes more and more numb to it, the whole process along. We never see, we'll see in a moment that he, that he, he, he has a time where he's remorseful, certainly, but never repents, never, never turns fully to the Lord. Never, never comes back. And I, I stress that point because, guys, as Christians, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance that is a gift to us from God. And we need to protect that. We need to hold on to that. Not that we could lose that. It's been purchased by the blood of Jesus and given to us. But, guys, we can't sell out any part of that for anything. Anything. If we take even that little step away, before you know that little step becomes a bigger step, becomes a bigger step, becomes a bigger step, and you re before you realize, man, how, how did I get this far away? You've sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, the Lord sa is saying through Elijah, and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and the house of Bashah, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and because you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also has the Lord spoken, saying, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and the one who who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. Surely, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. We spoke of this at the beginning when we were first introduced to Ahab, the most wicked king to this point. 
and just, again, his heart taken away, Jezebel, his wife, taking him first away into idolatry, and then, again, as we've read through this, even just this section right here, there's no ends to their, to their wickedness. And God pronounces judgment upon them. We're going to see Ahab meeting his this evening, if we get to that. Jezebel, we don't find out about until several chapters into, into 2 Kings, but she will meet the end just as the Lord predicts here. Verse 27, it came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth and fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. doesn't mean the judgment is not going to come against him, the judgment against his sons will take place after he is gone. Again, it shows here that he humbled himself, but he certainly is not repentant and turning to the Lord. Chapter 22. Three years passed without war between Aram and Israel. In the third year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king of the of the tribes of Judah down south. And we, if you want to do a little homework, we're not going to get there to see his story for a little bit. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 through 20, if you want to do a little homework this week and read up on Jehoshaphat. But he's the king down south. And one of the things that, Trent, that, that took place that is going to come back to haunt him a little bit, he's a godly king. And, the, and you read through his his life, his story, a godly king, honored the Lord for the vast majority of everything that he did. But one of the mistakes that he made was that he had one of his sons marry one of the daughters of Ahab and Jezebel. So now they're in-laws together. And we see now that Aram is coming against, again, after, after three years of quote-unquote peace from this treaty, now the king of Israel said to his servants, because now they're coming against him, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and we are still doing nothing to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram? So this peace treaty that they had, this agreement that they had, I'll give you the cities back, guess what? He didn't. So now he's saying, we're going to go and take this city back ourselves. And he said to Jehoshaphat, his in-law, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first of the word of the Lord. So Jehoshaphat, again, a godly king, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm in with you, but we got to go to God first. Let's see what God has to say about this. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give them into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of him? He looks at these 400 prophets that are there, and he knows none of them are godly prophets. He knows none of them are truly seeking the Lord. He says, Isn't there, don't you have one still around that actually seeks the Lord? Instead of just telling you what you want to hear? But Jehoshaphat said, 
Yes, there is yet a prophet of the Lord that we may, oh, I'm sorry, is there not a prophet of the Lord? The king said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imla, but Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. So yeah, there's one guy, but I don't ever ask him because he always says bad stuff about me. I just want people around me that are going to tell me what I want to hear. I go surfing through the channels and I see somebody talking about sin and repentance. I just keep on flipping. I got to find somebody that's going to tell me all I got to do is just, yeah, and everything, I'm going to have everything I need. I'm going to have cars and health and wealth and all that kind of stuff. I just keep flipping around. You're going to find one. Don't do that. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, imagine that scene, at the threshing floor of the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. So they go and get Micaiah, no doubt, in, in a jail cell, because he'd upset Ahab some other time, because he was telling him what God truly said. Go get him. And while they're waiting... They're, they're all in their royal robes. They're sitting in the gates. That's where they conducted their business, people coming in and coming out. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenaha, made horns of iron for himself and says, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. Imagine that. I mean, he's, now they're doing this, and he gets this, and he puts them on his head, and he's going, you're going to gore that. You know, just imagine the scene. I mean, it's, just, it's almost comical in your head. It's just prophet of supposedly God running around with these. And all the prophets were prophesying, thus saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper. Yeah, go and prosper. For the Lord will give it into your, the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the, of the prophet are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. As he's bringing them up, he's setting them up, saying, All of them are saying, there's 400 up there who are all in agreement that they should go. You go along with it. Just be a good little soldier, and you go right along with the whole thing. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives... What the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. <laughs> the king said to him, how many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He, Micaiah comes up and he says, you know, he says, what shall we do? And he goes, go up, prosper, you're going you're gonna to do it. And I almost think that he grabbed those horns and goes, yeah, go on up, yeah, go on, yeah. You know, playing right along with it. Because obviously Ahab knows that he's being sarcastic. Knows that ba but either the tone of his voice or the way this is all going down, he says, mm, tell me the truth. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd." And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. I see all of Israel, all of the northern tribes of Israel, wandering around like sheep without a shepherd, without a leader. Now, that could mean one of two things, or both. They have a, they have a king, but not a leader. 
or he's prophesying that they're not going to have a king, that he's going to be killed in battle. Either way, it's a prophecy against Ahab. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would prof- wouldn't prophesy anything good concerning me but evil? Micaiah continues, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramath Gilead? And one, of, and one said this while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, how? And he said to him, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. He's even telling him the word that you heard. It, it, it was sent to deceive you. God is giving him, even through Micaiah here, every chance to turn around. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these, all of, your, all of these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Janaha, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you enter an inner room to hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. He's not going to take his advice. He said, as a matter of fact, go put him in prison. Until I get back, don't feed him very much. Just give him enough to get by. And Micaiah said, if you come back, the word of God didn't speak through me. And then he proclaims it to everybody here and listen up, everybody, basically saying, he ain't coming back. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now Jehoshaphat, like I said, a godly man. But questioning his judgment a little bit as we're reading through here, why is he still going along with this when he heard the godly pronouncement, the, the, the word of the prophet? We, we do find out in Second Chronicles that the Lord, when he does come, return back safely to his home, that a prophet speaks against him in that. That is one area, that, that one area, one blemish on his record that you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have made an alliance. You shouldn't have gone along with him. But then he goes along with this idea that Ahab says, here's what we'll do. When we go into battle, I'm going to disguise myself as a soldier and actually go out into the battle. You stand up on the hill with all your kingly robes on. Jehoshaphat agreed. Now the king of Aram had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, saying, Do not fight with the small or the great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captain of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. So he's standing up on the hill to watch it. All of a sudden, all of the generals start running up the hill after him. He cries out, I believe probably crying out to Yahweh God, and when they hear that, they're saying, that can't be Ahab. 
When the chariots, the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor, so that he so he said to his driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. The battle raged that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans, and he died that evening. And the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed throughout the army, close to sunset, saying, Every man to his city, and every man to his country. So Ahab, thinking he's got this clever scheme figured out, he gets all dressed up, all in armor, everything. He's out in the midst of the battle, no doubt telling his chariot guy to drive away from the heavy fighting. And it says, At random. One guy, probably trying to impress that he's fighting somehow, shoots an arrow up into the air and just so happens to come down right into the space in the armor where Ahab wasn't protected, probably where his armor connected to his helmet or something, comes right down, just so happens. A fatal wound and he dies dies in the chariot and then again, just as the prophecy has said, everybody The word spreads, they run to their own city and to their own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. They washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there, the temple prostitutes, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he built and all the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. Now Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. He walked in in the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, not to foreign gods, but there was a place, Judah, those things things were to be done at the temple. And those people still did that on their own, and that wasn't taken away. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might which he showed and how he warred are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. The remnants of the Sodomites, the male temple prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa, he expelled from the land. Now there was no king in Edom, a deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were broken at Ezion-Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat was not willing. Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of his father David, and Jehoram, his son, became king in his place. Here's another I guess blemish, if you would, on Jehoshaphat. We get more information of that in, again, Second Chronicles. But if you remember, we were talking about Solomon. He built those ships, and they were bringing back all of that gold continually. Well, Jehoshaphat thinks that, they can, I'll, I'll do that as well. But I didn't seek the Lord in the process, and the Lord destroyed the ships while they're still in the harbor. Well, 
uh, Ahab's son goes and says, well, I'll help you along with that. And Josephat said, no, obviously the Lord has spoken against that. But that's the, the, the ships and everything were dis- destroyed there. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. So he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. We covered a lot of a lot of ground tonight, but this is, these are some tough chapters to go through because they said Ahab's not, not a real uh, prize one that we study the life of and, and learn a lot from, except we learn a whole lot of things not to do. But I think it's just a, even just a couple of, of, of quick takeaways from that. The, the, the story, again, of, of Naboth, a man who wouldn't who wouldn't falter at all, who wouldn't take a step away, not, not willing to take even, even one thing away from the inheritance that was given to him. And a, a great example of that, Elijah, again, we get, he's got a little cameo here. And in that, I, I, I like that, because remember, we looked at Elijah last time, and after that great victory that he had, he took off. He went running, and even after we looked at this last week, God, God gave him the prison, and he said, this journey is too great for you, but he kept still going the wrong direction, and God appears to him there, and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I'm not done with you. Your work is still there. Your st- work is still to be done, and he gave them this work to do, and now God uses him here again. Not disqualified, rejuvenated, sent back into, back into action, and with a difficult assignment to go and to speak the truth again, <laughs> to go to, to Ahab, the one that he, you know, he's had this issue with before, but again, still going. And I believe, even though, even though he's got the difficult news, he has the heart of God. Elijah, Elijah loves the Lord, and we see that in that uh, God continuing to give opportunities to Ahab to repent, to turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons that we, we learn from it, even as we look through the reign of a very evil and wicked king. Lord, we see that you are a long-suffering and patient God. But Lord, even, even in that, we see that your, patient has, your patience has a limit. And when he hardened his heart to the point where it was no turning back, Lord, he had to face the judgment that came from his decision. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would move on, on even the hardest heart. Lord, those that we have continued to share with, as, as Elijah has. Lord, that we'd be, continue to be faithful in sharing your truth and sharing your love. Lord, we pray that you would move on those hearts. Lord, and we all, we all have that. Every one of us here probably has someone that we know that has wandered away or that has hardened their heart against you. Lord, we pray that you, would, that you would do a work in their life, that you would bring them back or bring them to you. Lord, we ask that you before us this week, the remainder of this week, as we face, all of us face difficult things, different things ahead of us. Lord, as we sang in the beginning, we know, Lord, that you are our strength, that you are our refuge. We thank you and we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.